Russia fights and kills civilians. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with uh, Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. And on uh, Back Chat this morning, we'll be talking about the uh, ec- economic and uh, business uh, impact of the global sanctions against uh, Russia amid its invasion of Ukraine. Um, I have a few more uh, emails uh, relating to COVID-19, but I'm going to save those uh, until the end of the programme because we want to get into our discussion this morning uh, with our two guests because uh, we have on the line uh, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and also Steve Vickers, CEO of Steve Vickers & Associates, uh, a special uh, political and corporate risk consultancy. Um, thank you uh, both very much for joining us. Uh, so so uh, the latest news this morning is that, the, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, the US and UK are banning uh, Russian oil and the EU is ending its reliance on Russian gas. So it says that's its intention um, uh, to increase the economic response to the invasion of Ukraine. Um, so, uh, perhaps uh, uh, Mark Michelson first. Um, just thinking globally, generally, what effect is this likely to have, do you think, on the, on the world economy? I mean, we're, we're already having to deal with, uh, with inflation. I mean, this is bound to add inflationary pressures, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Not good. I mean, that's one of the key areas, probably the most important area effect for Asia and for the rest of the world is on prices. And, of course, is on supplies of energy. And, that, and energy, of course, affects food, it affects all, all other things as well. So this this will not bode well for prices or for or you know or for supply. It depends on what OPEC does or others in trying to uh, trying to deal with this, or if the U.S. and others reach a, another agreement with Iran, which would put some more uh, some more supply onto the market. There are a lot of things, but this uh, this this messes things up a little bit for a while again. Um, and, and what about? So the EU, the EU, the European Union countries are um, far more reliant on Russian energy supplies than uh, the UK, for instance. Um, um, the, the the US is or the world's second biggest oil producer. So, so w- what sort of uh, difficulties does this pose f- for the EU? Well, I think pretty substantial. But obviously, they took that into effect and felt it was more important to uh, uh, to try to squeeze Russia a little bit to a greater extent because the energy uh, energy income is just so important to Russia and so important to Russia's economy mm-hmm. with the hope that this might lead to, a, uh, if not a cessation, at least an easing of the current situation and maybe maybe the sides will sit down to talk. You know, I don't know how, how, how valid that hope is, but at least it's it's attempt to do that. Uh, and what about uh, retaliation? I mean, I mean, the Russia is a, a major grain exporter, for instance. Absolutely, and that's the other side, obviously, in food. And you know, you, you know, for example, Asia is it's not as dependent on on food from Russia as, as other places. But uh, and you know, and it especially it does hit some of the developing economies like Thailand, like Philippines. India, Vietnam, less so Singapore, China, Korea, Australia, probably Hong Kong. But nonetheless, this all has an impact. Of course, inflation was already high, and companies and individuals were dealing with that uh, to a great extent already. And you know how how much how much can you afford? How much can you pass on price rises to customers? 
all these things make uh, make life a lot more complicated. Mm. Uh, and Steve Vickers, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. So what kind of effect do you think these sanctions are going to have uh, closer to home on, on us uh, here in Hong Kong? I think um, if we go to 36,000 feet on this, I think we need to recognize that the Ukraine invasion has really changed the geopolitical framework uh, in, in a big, bad way. And that poses some major threats to businesses, no matter how far away they are from the front line in, in Ukraine. I think the most obviously the immediate manifestation is what we're seeing in the media and, and, and through documentation as to sanctions actually being imposed on Russia. But I think we, we, you've got to assume that new and, and unpredictable threats will emerge uh, from what's effectively a de facto economic war, which is actually what we've, we've moved to. For example, just yesterday, uh, nickel, which is, may, may not sound an exciting um, commodity, it went up 250%. Yeah. In, it's important in two for, days it's to for trade for, it. For, 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 nickel's used in, in catalytic uh, nickel converters. We use it, 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 it's, it's critical in electric vehicle batteries, mm. for example. Mm -hmm. uh, it surged 250% in two days, uh, and, and the London Metal Exchange ceased trading in it, uh, as a lot of traders seem to be. Um, very seriously exposed. So that's just a quick, um, uh, an immediate side effect, which perhaps hasn't hasn't yet occurred to people. Uh, and, and the risks to businesses here, Hong Kong finds itself in a kind of a unique position. We're China, but we're also Hong Kong. Uh, so sanctions and sanction uh, sanctions compliance is going to put us in a very difficult position. Obviously, China's made. Um, its position fairly clear. They're not going to impose, uh, 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 at least visibly impose, uh, any form of sanction on uh, on the Russians at this time. But because of commercial issues rather than um, actual risks, things have happened. I mean, Russia's credit rating has fallen to junk status uh, at the fastest time in history, according to something I read in S&P this morning. Uh, the Asian Infrastructure Fund has halted its... Um, activities in Russia and Belarus, even though China's the, um, the, the primary backer. Um, so th th there's a lot going on. But the dangers to companies now of being exposed to Russian business and being pilloried, um, being pilloried in the international uh, media and financial markets uh, are really quite high. Uh, and I've been saying the companies need to do eight to ten things immediately, even though they may say, I'm a long way from Ukraine, I'm Chinese, why should I worry? Uh, there are some real perils out there now. So locally, Steve, are we going to see an influx of rich Russians coming to Hong Kong as a safe haven? I, I doubt it. Um, but in fact, what's been going on, Hong Kong has increased. Uh, I, I did some numbers on, on, on the, the Hong Kong. The visible Russian presence in Hong Kong is, is pretty it's pretty minor. Although what is interesting is that, that Hong Kong has a, um, a double taxation agreement uh, with Russia, which means effectively Hong Kong was being used as a service hub to move funds uh, into China. So that, that is an issue. Uh, and I hope it doesn't put Hong Kong in a, in a bad spot. Uh, around the region, um, Singapore likewise has a double tax agreement with um, uh, with, 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 with Russia, and they've had a lot more visible uh, activity. Taiwan, uh, the exposure of Taiwanese banks, insurers, and securities firms uh, totaled about uh, 7 billion US as, the, as of January this year. Um, 
China, obviously, it's huge. I mean, if we look at Russia's relationships in in Asia, it's the it's in three boxes: the Central uh, Asian Republics, the Sands, which they have a long history with, Southeast Asia, uh, and and China as the major as, as the primary as the primary relationship. But uh, I, I say it could get quite rocky uh, for companies that, 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 I mean, if you're purely a Chinese company and you're purely dealing in China business, you don't need to worry so much. But if you're a, any kind of international trading business, you, my, our, my advice is people need to re-examine very carefully their existing clients and partnerships and, and identify um, quite quickly where, where Russian investment might be. Can you, Steve, uh, just explain something, which is India's involvement and position in all of this at the moment? Well, I haven't looked at that. To, to be honest, India is protect, protecting its, uh, its strategic interests. I mean, you can expect countries to act in their, uh, in their national interest. Remember, they're directly next adjacent to, um, to Russia, and they have a significant relationship with them in everything from defense to, to, to other areas. Um, the media is, is screaming for, for more and more sanctions. I think we'd be, be a little bit careful what we ask for, um, whilst the Russians' conduct is un, un, untenable, horrible, horrific, whatever the right, whatever the right words are. Um, we're doing pretty dangerous. We were already in a fairly parlous state um, before, uh, before Ukraine kicked off. I mean, the U.S.-China relationship. It was making the weather tensions there it affect everything from technology, data rules, trade and tariffs, the South China Sea, Hong Kong, uh, and the rest. This has just added a whole new dimension. And I would say companies really do need to respond nimbly by, 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 by looking at who their clients are. Uh, I mean, on the surface, Hong Kong doesn't have much relationships, but, but in fact, um, some of the uh, smaller dodgy casinos uh, and, and, and junket people um, in, in Vladivostok, for example, have significant banking relationships here. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot out there uh, which which needs to be looked at. So smart companies should be looking now or hiring somebody who can do it for them who can speak Russian. Uh, be very mindful of disguised ownerships. There's a lot of that. Um, the, Compliance teams tend to be underpaid, junior level people. This is a board level situation. Not getting caught uh, in the middle of this is very important. Uh, Mark Michelson, yeah, I mean, how about that? I mean, U.S.-China relations weren't exactly great before. I mean, uh, are your members concerned that the, the conflict in Ukraine is going to add uh, more strain to U.S.-China relations? And could that have uh, you know, implications for businesses here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And more pressure. And of course, you know, it's, I add to that, it's election season already in the U.S. again, which is which is wrapped up the uh, U.S.-China conflict already, and this will add more to it. I mean, there's an opportunity for China here, whether they can actually do anything or not, I don't know, but they're in a position where they might be able to play a mediating role. They don't have a great history of that, but they're, in one, of, they're one of the few places that could do that, and they've been various articles that appeared about them potentially doing that uh, don't know if they're going to but you know that would be that could be a, a, a advantageous situation if it's, if it's played carefully but i just don't know if that's going to happen but in terms of exposure you might have seen that today in, in nikkei there was a there was a chart of asian companies revenue in russia directly and the biggest the basic exposure is samsung electronics with over three billion u.s dollars 
which which is sounds like a lot, but for them it's it's not a big percentage. But even uh, even uh, even Hutchison appears on the list over a billion dollars. So there is even some direct. Uh, there's some direct exposure in addition to the the indirect, and I think Steve's absolutely right. You just have to. It's going to affect everyone, either directly or indirectly, and um, you have to look at this carefully. Look at your your own strategy, your own exposure, how it affects your businesses, and try to deal with it. Because at least in the short term, it's going to be a, it's going to be a very dynamic situation, to say the least. Yeah, uh, just from a consumer point of view, I mean. People are asking, you know, simple questions like, "What's it likely to mean for fuel prices, for instance?" Well, you can see, you know, what's happened in the states. I'm still not, I'm not sure about Hong Kong. Though our advantages is, although fuel may go up, you don't go very far. But in places where you do have to drive, and where, and, and of course, China included, where you you have to make deliveries and all the rest of it, obviously a very big. And a very big impact, and uh, you know they've gone up record to record record amounts in the U.S. at this point. I mean, it goes up by uh, by several percentage points every day, and of course this this latest uh, move will will trigger even more. But Mark, surely the U.S. is oil sufficient, as everybody keeps saying. So this should not affect them, surely, long term. Yeah, longer term, maybe it looks all right. But you know, you can say we have all this oil, we have natural gas. Uh, we're, we're supposedly self-sufficient at this point, so the U.S. might say that. But at the same time, the practicality is actually carrying that out. And also trying to help your allies who, who also have issues, especially Europe, as was mentioned before, who are, who are even more exposed to the situation. Uh, that suddenly puts a lot of pressure on whatever you have. And, of course, there are a lot of complications, bureaucratic, political, and so on, that, that make, this, uh, make this challenging. There's an irony here, isn't it, is that the climate change folks will get what they wanted now because Europe is now saying, oh, we need to hasten the, uh, the, uh, our rely- getting over our reliance on fossil fuels. So there may be a hidden, uh, hidden uh, blessing in all of this. Well, what also usually happens, and I hasten to say so, is that, of course, usage goes down when the prices go up. And so you partly get, so you partly don't, you partly relieve the pressure a little bit, depending mm-hmm. on what happens. Steve? I wouldn't hold Steve your breath you that, that, that mm. that's going to happen. The cost of this is going to be huge. And again, I don't want to overstate this, but I think we're now in a de facto economic war between between major states. Uh, we're, we're, going to, we're going to be caught with that. Uh, and there, many of their considerations uh, will certainly not be, uh, not be green, certainly in India, certainly in China, uh, certainly elsewhere. So this, this is... Um, this is quite. It, this is a, a fundamental change. Uh, the meeting between uh, at the Olympics between Xi and um, Putin. and Putin resulted in a written document of, of, of um, cooperation and support. Uh, from the Chinese point of view, if you're deeply cynical, uh, it's a buying opportunity. They, given that the, 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 that Russia will not be able to sell as much as they were selling previously, this is a buying opportunity mm-hmm. for. Um, for Chinese organisations to buy into uh, into the big uh, listed Russian yeah. organisations and, and, sort of and to acquire yeah. stuff at a at a, um, a very discounted price. Um, yeah, just to be clear, uh, Steve, when you say uh, you know we're now into a, um, a you know a major economic war, so so 
where are the lines drawn there? Well, the lines will be will be quite clear. I mean, it's going to be <clears throat> it's going to be China and uh, China, Russia, and attendant allies on one side, and and, and and the rest on the other. With to Anna's point, um, with people like the the Indians doing their best to to to, <laughs> to hang on the, independently as far as is possible. This is it's a de facto economic war, mm. uh, and it's beginning it's beginning to take shape. I mean, just yesterday's thing was quite shocking on the London Metal Exchange. I think. Um, They've only ever had one incident of that scale before, uh, and I would suspect that many traders have been caught on the wrong side of trades and maybe um, maybe gone. That's just a small example, but of just how quickly things can go wrong. That's why I, I really do reiterate that, that the businesses do need to have a very good look um, at who their partnerships are, who their clients are, who's invested in what, um, even family offices who have invested in third-party funds uh, and the rest. Uh, it, it's really quite extreme. Yeah. Um, I had a list of um, just funds alone, respectable funds have done nothing wrong, nothing whatsoever, but Templeton, Eastern Europe, um, Pinebridge, JPM Emerging Europe, BlackRock Emerging Europe Equity, Bearing Eastern Europe Equity, Schroeder's Emerging Europe Equity, BNP Paribas Emerging Europe Equity, Sierra Eastern Equity, Fidelity, EMEA, all have high Russian have have high Russian exposure. So this affects a lot of people. So should we all be whipping out our MPF portfolios and scrutinising them? Um, I, I think not just from a personal. But I think corporate. I mean, individually, it's rather difficult. Um, but from a from a, a corporate point of view, you, you, I think uh, willful blindness or willful, you know, saying we don't know anything. Uh, will not save you from regulators. I mean, at, at this point, the, the money, it's, it's just kicking off. But, but I, I strongly urge directors, particularly boards of directors, to mandate better to get somebody externally to look for you and give you an independent report because <clears throat> covering this stuff up will lead to, um, I think it will lead to, to real trouble. Do you think I'd like that to say the... someone who speaks <laughs> Russian... Yeah. How... yeah. Well, again, we've got. That's what I've been doing. I've been. I only have three people who speak Russian. Who's they've been rather busy. <laughs> the, uh, the, the last um, uh, the, 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 the last week. Um, but but the, again, the China Russia relationship, uh, how that will unfold. But it is. I think we're moving into 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 you, you know, the Western mm. block, as I say, the China um, China Russia Russia block. Remember, I mean, Russia itself has an economy. Uh, the size of Holland, Holland, yeah. So seriously, Steve, you know, history would suggest that sanctions and all this sort of thing, the enthusiasm for this wanes when they cease to be headline news every day. So how long do you think McDonald's and Starbucks and these folks are going to keep up their enthusiasm for not doing business in lucrative markets? And will it be the case that in a few months a lot of this will just have quietly died down again? Well, I can cut. Sanctions always take time. I mean, they're, we're, we're, they're being laid now with a view to tr trying to stop a military uh, assault. I mean, from what I can see, and I have a, with greatest respect to the brave people of Ukraine who have resisted heroically, I don't think uh, military to military uh, this is a, a winnable situation. What do you mean? Of, what do you mean? Cause I was... mean, the back of Ukraine will be broken. Um, the, the Russian forces will move into Odessa, which will then uh, which should be that the end game, and they will try and annex or 
neutralize Ukraine. So it's um, a bit like uh, Austria was in the Soviet in the Soviet times. That that's clearly their strategic goal. I don't think any kind of sanctions will, will act quickly enough to, to slow down the um, to slow down that situation. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's sadly how I think it's, it, it's, it's going to unfold. And then the economic, uh, the, the de facto economic war uh, will, will, will kick off in earnest. So how long do you think the war on the ground will last? Very hard to say. It uh, depends what falls first. But I mean, I, I think that, uh, as I say, they behave remarkably well um, uh, under vast pressure. But ultimately, it, it will not be possible for a smaller force like this to... to, to, to to prevail, uh, I, I mean, provided the Russians are willing to be uh, brutal, which I think they are. But he will see this through because there's no going back. Uh, from 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 the economic damage perspective, uh, it, 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 it's going to be very huge, um, very substantial. And as you say, Anna, um, the, the the clamour for more and more sanctions uh, at the West's expense will will die out when people's fuel bills continue to rise. I mean, the Germans have painted themselves into a terrible corner uh, in terms of reliance on gas, uh, and it will, it will take a long time for them to, to wean off that, you know, with the best will in the world. Uh, uh, Mark, uh, just continuing Anna's point there, uh, interesting to note that uh, McDonald's uh, in its uh, statement said it's decided to temporarily close uh, all of our restaurants uh, in Russia and pause all operations in the market. Uh, so they're obviously still looking to the future and perhaps a, a time when uh, they can uh, resume operations there. I mean, um, I, I can remember when the first McDonald's opened in Moscow in uh, 1990, in January, I think it was, in Pushkin Square, and there were, and there were massive queues lining up to get, a, to get a hamburger. I mean, that was really seen as a sort of symbolic uh, occasion, uh, wasn't it, when, uh, you know, it, it was like... Uh, uh, Russia, which was, uh, I think, was still, um, you know, uh, uh, in, in those days, uh, St. Petersburg was still Leningrad, and, but it was, but this was sort of a Russia of the Soviet Union uh, opening up to the West. Um, but now it seems that uh, all that's gone into reverse. It, it, well, it has, and, and McDonald's. It took a while to do this because it's an important market for them as well. But of course, there, are, I think, there's still Russians and Americans up in space. I'm not mm. sure if they still are. But well, that's a good point. Station. Yeah, the International they're, Space Station. There's yeah. still, still, there's still areas of cooperation. But it's interesting, you know, in terms of, of what companies are going to do. Many Asian companies have taken, I guess, what you call a wait and see. They, uh, they're still, still maintaining their relationships with Russia and trying to play this in the middle. And same with many governments, not just India, which has, as Steve has pointed out and, uh, and others, they have a very long relationship with Russia and a lot of its tight defense and, and other uh, other key supplies. But um, Southeast Asia, other than Singapore, has uh, has not really taken has not really taken strong measures and neither have many of their companies. So it's a question well, of whether... I think Singapore to be fair, the Singapore government has imposed sanctions quite No, quickly. I said other than other than Singapore. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, Steve, Steve, can we just look at history for a moment? Let's go back to the 1980s and our old friends in Afghanistan when the Russians were featuring again there. Now, the Americans um, were not acting as Mother Teresa, were they really? They were testing out, they, they armed the Afghans with Stinger missiles, which um, caused a lot of trouble for the Russians. To what extent can we expect the same thing to play out here, that in fact... America might be testing out its new 
ground um, small arms and, and small warfare uh, tactical equipment uh, on the, by supplying the Ukrainians against the Russians? Do we see that this will uh, be the case? Was, uh, well, I mean, there have already been training teams of overtly, overtly reported from, from the UK's training uh, in the last two years, i.e. this was kind of anticipated. Um, but no, I don't think that is, that, 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 that is the case uh, as, as a matter of intent, as a matter of um, what, what transpired. I, I, I don't know. But I think we mustn't, uh, uh, despite all of the, the, the support for Ukraine, we mustn't uh, 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 underestimate the scale and size of the Russian force and, 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 and the fact that it's highly unlikely they will prevail un, uh, in, under current circumstances, notwithstanding some intervention. And I think they'll get to Odessa. Their goal is to break the back of the, of the Ukrainian government uh, and, de- and thereafter, thereafter to draw some lines and try and try and get it from the Russians' point of view to secure their to secure their advantage. So, the the odds of them the Ukrainians prevailing as is I'm sad, sad to say are quite low. Okay, uh, just uh, one comment from a listener. Simon says, uh, what happened to Nickel is not a one-off. Those of us with longer memories remember the bunker hunts doing something similar to the price of silver. Um, I'm not quite sure what he's talking about. <laughs> Anybody know? Uh, well, I don't know. Other than the silver is the devil's commodity. Right. Uh, I, I, I think he's right. There isn't. It's not just the only time that there was a, the London Metal Exchange had one previous example, which was in tin, unless I unless I've um, recalled incorrectly based on my my old memory. Uh, yes, the darkest period was the tin crisis of '85, which saw the exchange suspend tin trading for four years and pushed many brokers out of business. This is just a quick sample of just how. Um, how fast and volatile this stuff is. And again, please look at your, look at your client base, look at your investors, look really who people are behind you and, and avoid and avoid getting clobbered because Hong Kong's caught right in the middle. Right, right. Okay, well, uh, thank you both uh, very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was Steve Vickers, the CEO of Steve Vickers & Associates, uh, specialist at political and corporate risk consultancy. And thanks to Mark Michelson, chairman Uh, of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Um, Thanks very much to all of our listeners. Um, Thank you to you, Anna. And um, just before we have the news summary and morning brew... Oh, yes, um, a few emails uh, left over on COVID-related matters. Um, um, I have to leave those till tomorrow, I'm afraid. I'll read them out um, after 8.30 tomorrow morning. Um, but a quick look at the weather. It's going to be a fine and dry. Uh, top temperature will be around uh, 22 degrees, moderate to fresh easterly winds. The outlook, sunny periods in the next couple of days, uh, dry during the day, humid and foggy early next week. The weather will be warm during the day. It's currently 17 degrees, humidity 53%. And the yellow fire danger warning is in effect. With the Stay Home Safe scheme, epidemic prevention resources can be reserved for the needy, and we can protect our health care system. If you are suitable for home quarantine, stay home at all times during the quarantine period, monitor your health condition, conduct regular tests, and observe the home quarantine guidelines. Call the hotline 1-833-019 if you need help. Let's do our part. With our concerted efforts, Hong Kong will overcome the epidemic.
The new summary with Andrew Shirovsky. University of Hong Kong researchers say their computer modeling indicates that between one and a half and two million people have been infected with COVID-19. Karen Greppen from HKU's School of Public Health said there were promising signs that the fifth wave had peaked and cases should come down to a reasonable level by mid-April. The United States, Britain and the European Union have announced plans to target Russia's energy sector in retaliation for the military action in Ukraine. Washington has banned all imports of Russian oil and gas, and the UK also says it will phase out oil imports from Moscow by the end of the year. And polls have opened in South Korea's presidential election after a tightly contested race that's been dominated by smear campaigns between the two main candidates. It's a neck-and-neck race between the governing Democratic Party's candidate and his conservative opposition rival. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. Well, not too bad at all. Good morning. Neely up spotted. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. So it's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning to you. Welcome to Wednesday. Here on The Morning Brew, I'm Phil Whelan. Well, unfortunately, Colin Touchin can't be with us today. So you'll have to rest your inner beef oven. So after 10.30, just for fun, we're going to move from classical to classics and hit the 60s button for a few minutes. Hopefully, I've put in stuff that's kind of off the beaten track. And I hope you enjoy it. 11.10. Paul French is going to read part three of four. The Lady from Hong Kong. Sita Jin and Jung Lei are both in jail in San Francisco while the police work to find out what drove them to smuggle drugs into America. And so today we travel back to a war-torn China and a very panicked Hong Kong in 1938 to find out for ourselves. That's at 11.10 and join us on Facebook Live as well if you feel like it. 11.40, RTL France's Philippe Devar will be with us live from a very early morning in Paris to talk and to bring you some more music, French masterpieces. Chris Watts is back. And at 12.10, we're going to catch up with him in the Philippines. His garden under a fruit tree, I believe. 